to the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist@extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com. Hello again. Morning. How's everyone doing? Good, good, good. Hey, um, as has already been mentioned, I, I do want to give a special welcome to my uh, to my family who have um, unexpectedly, some of them, shown up here and raised my heart rate about 20 points. That's all right. Good to have you here. Yeah, we're, we're continuing in the Back to Basics series. So this is week, I want to say, four. And um, who's been enjoying it so far? Yeah, it's been good, eh? We've been in, been in John 1, talking about who Jesus is. Uh, we've been in Romans 3, uh, talking about uh, the fallen state of man and why we need a saviour. And last week we heard about uh, the seriousness of sin and uh, how it's a matter of life and death. And this morning we're going to be in Romans 8. Uh, working title, The War Within. Um, so for a bit of context, for those who don't know, uh, the book of Romans is, is obviously called a book in the Bible, but it's not, it's not so much a book. It's, it's a, we know it's a letter that was written to a Roman church um, by the Apostle Paul. So this was Paul who used to um, torture and imprison Christians, became one himself, massively set on fire for God, went out preaching and uh, missionary, and uh, he used to write to churches to encourage them. And uh, he writes to this church that he's never actually been to. And uh, this, this church in Rome is a bit of an interesting church. We don't really know how they got started. They probably, it was probably people coming from Jerusalem after Pentecost, and it's a really diverse church. Uh, it's full of what we'd call uh, Jewish Christians and Gentiles, which are people who are not Jews. Uh, so it's a really diverse church, and um, it's all these little house churches. And uh, in, in, in the middle of, well, not in the middle, but early in the life of this church, something really interesting happens. You see, in Rome, where they were, in the middle of Italy, you basically were allowed to practice whatever you want, whatever you wanted, whatever religion you were like. They had a god of wine. And people just got drunk. Um, yeah, so people were pretty into him. His name is Bacchus. Um, so you could pretty much you could pretty much do whatever you wanted. <laughs> yeah, he had some followers. And yeah, so so the the Roman emperor or the kind of the king of Rome at that time, he 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 was cool with anything, but you had to acknowledge him as a god as well. So amongst all these other gods, he also was a god, and um, that required certain things of the Christians which they weren't willing to do. They weren't willing to acknowledge him as a god. So uh, he obviously wasn't super happy with that. He kind of saw uh, Christianity as a Jewish thing. He's like, well, this has come from a Jewish... So he, he bans Jews from Rome, sends them away. And interesting for a diverse church, all of a sudden becomes a lot less diverse. Uh, all these Jewish Christians leave. And uh, the, only, the only ones left in this church uh, are, are Gentiles. Uh, Jew, uh, so that would have been Romans, Greeks. Now, five years later, uh, this guy Claudius, this emperor, he dies, and all the Jews are allowed back again into Rome. And they come back, and uh, the church in that point has grown a lot. And uh, they come back, and they start to realize, hey, there's a lot of things we're doing differently here from you guys. We, we kind of follow Jesus in a different way to all the, to all the Gentiles. And um, yeah, initially it would have been a very happy occasion to, to be back in fellowship with each other, but they started to notice 
that there's some stark differences with how they, how they think Jesus should be followed. On one side, you, you'd have all these staunch Jewish Christians, and they, they uh, grew up with the law, the Torah, and they want to they wanna adhere to it. It's, it's part of the everyday life. And, they, and they're like, well, to be righteous, to be right with God, you, you've got to be eating kosher. Like you, you've, you've, got to be, um, you've got to be following the food laws. You can't be eating pork and, and you can't be eating shellfish. And, and you've got guy, men have to get circumcised and, and you've got to fast on certain days and you've got to go along to these special festivals and, and plus all these other things. And on the other side of the spectrum, you've got the Gentile, the non-Jewish Christians who are like, what are you talking about? Like, we're not Jews. We just follow Jesus. Like, we can do whatever we want. God forgives us. And it's been said that this, this resulted in quite a lot of disagreements um, in the church between these two groups. And uh, before long, they get a letter from Paul. I once read something that said, if Paul was around today, our church would be getting a letter. <laughs> so yeah, if Paul, Paul steps in a little bit. And this church in Rome... Uh, this, this letter to this church in Rome, it lays out a whole lot of things. It's, it's, it's a masterpiece, of course. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. It lays out a lot of things. It lays out the gospel in probably the plainest form uh, in the Bible, the good news of salvation through Jesus. And we've been hearing about all that um, over the last few weeks. So today, Romans 8, and it's, and it's a thought that Paul starts with in Romans 7. Paul, Paul describes this war that's going on inside him. This backwards and forwards, this, this constant fighting of wanting to do what's right, but ending up doing what's wrong, what he knows is wrong. And, uh, and doing those things that he knows is wrong, even if, even if he actually doesn't want to do it, even if it's something that he hates. Now, is, is Paul bipolar? Is he schizophrenic? No, he's just, he's just really, really human, like all of us. And uh, in uh, verse 24, he says this. He says, O wretched, which is miserable, heartbroken man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And he answers himself in verse 25. He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I serve myself the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. And he goes on to say in Romans 8, There is, there is therefore now no condemnation, to those which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Jesus Christ has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So there's a lot in that. Now the law Paul's talking about, these all these, the rules and regulations given to the Jewish people, uh, predominantly through, through Moses, uh, their leader on Mount Sinai, and it includes things like the really well-known Ten Commandments. And condemnation is this action of condemning someone or something, or some, yeah, condemning someone to a punishment or sentencing someone, like we do in a court of law. And Paul here, I believe, he's reminding these believers in Christ that although they may still struggle and wrestle 
against their flesh, against their sinful desires. And they might be experiencing this war inside them, even though they might actually do things that they hate. They are no longer considered guilty under the law. They've been justified, which is declared or made righteous in the sight of God. Those in Jesus Christ are no longer subject to the death sentence that the law requires for our sin, all because of faith and what Jesus did on the cross. So in saying all that, is Paul saying that the law is pointless and of no use anymore? I mean, he calls it weak. Does that mean he's siding with these, these Gentiles or these non-Jewish Christians? What Paul says is that the law failed to do its job, not because it was defective or somehow lacking. It's because there was a weak link in the chain, which was us. <laughs> Specifically our flesh. It's our fleshly desires. Because of our fleshly desires, the law couldn't be perfectly kept even by people as zealous and dedicated as the Jews. It's like Jeremy highlighted last week, who could honestly stand up here and say that they loved God with all their heart, mind, and strength? I couldn't. The Apostle Paul couldn't. I'm guessing no one else here could either. And Paul goes on to say something else in Romans 8. He says in verse 5, For they that are after the flesh, they do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded, that's to, to only think about the things that our flesh desires, is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because a carnal mind is enmity at war against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. So in other words, our, our sinful desires, the parts of us that want to do things that we know aren't right, they, that fights against God. And it doesn't want to have anything to do with, with what God wants. Because if it does what God wants, then it can't do what it wants. That makes sense, eh? And we know in Paul's letter to the Roman church and from some of his other letters that people were taking their newfound freedom in Christ a bit too liberally. Some people were, were getting drunk on the communion wine. I know, right? <laughs> it sounds crazy, but like to them, they're like, well, hey, they had a God of wine before that. So, like, it's not too much big of a step to think, oh, hey, well, you know, this is just part of it. Some people are sleeping around with each other's husbands and wives and, like, you know, um, mother-in-laws, and it got real messy. And Paul warned that this behavior leads to death. And I really like the way Jeremy put it last week because we, we think death is an, oh, yeah, just physical death. No, it's like if you constantly give in to temptation and do whatever you like, whatever the flesh demands, then you begin to die spiritually. Hearing from God becomes harder, and you, you start to lose confidence, you start to lose assurance, and trust me, I've been there, you don't want to be there. So to me, I, I read this, and, I, and I, I think about the context, and I think Paul's in this whole letter, and it summarizes a whole lot of things. I, I think he's addressing both these groups of Christians who are kind of at either end of the spectrum, and he's saying, you both have some of the picture, but, but you're, too, you're too far on either side. To those who are relying on the law for your righteousness, uh, Romans 3.28 says, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. The law just reminds us how much we need Jesus. It can't save us. And to those believers who think 
that, uh, you know, hey, I'm free in Christ, I can do whatever I want. Persistent, unrepented sin leads to spiritual death. I actually wrote this in here, Sam, and now that you're here, you're going to make me think I'm just picking you up. But I've literally got here, these are the exact words. Like my wise brother Sam reminds me, if you're on the ditch on either side of the road, you're not going to get very far. The middle of the road is where all the real progress is made. So here's a question. How do we know if we're following after the spirit or after the flesh? You know, some things are more obvious, like getting drunk on the communion wine or sleeping with other people's husbands or wives. But sometimes our own motives for doing things can be a little bit harder to track, eh? I mean, these these Pharisees, they kept God's law really well, really, really well on the surface. And I mean, they thought they were doing great. So how do we tell if we're spiritually off track? We've got these um, citrus trees at home. And when I say trees, they're more like shrubs at the moment, like that. And I can't really tell the difference between any of them. They're all the same size, all got green leaves. Who would know? That is, that is until they fruit, Anna. Thank you. <laughs> Are you? <laughs> Thank you. No, no, no. Thanks for backing me up on that. I was a bit, I was a bit worried about that one. And Jesus, obviously, we all know, he calls us to be fruit inspectors. And I don't think that's too hard for us at all, because I think most Christians are great fruit inspectors, mostly of other people's fruit. <laughs> we should be interested, first and foremost, I believe, in our own fruit. And we're probably all familiar eh, with the fruits of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, which is King James' version for patience, but I like long-suffering because that... <laughs> It really hits me, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, which is self-control, being able to actually be able to say no to things sometimes. But just as there are fruits of the Spirit, we also know that there are fruits of the flesh. Um, Galatians 5.19, and we, yeah, we know there's stuff, there's some obvious ones listed in there, sex outside of marriage, idolatry, anger, jealousy, rebellion against God. Maybe some, other, some less obvious ones like uh, lasciviousness. I know, right? Alcigia is the, is the Greek word, which means excessive consumption of food and life's pleasures, which was me on Friday night. <laughs> yeah. There's also strife, strong arguing that divides people. Mm. The Bible says that this is something of the flesh. This is something contrary to what the Spirit produces. Some people might even think, that they're actually doing what God wants them to be doing, but unfortunately they're following the flesh. The Bible says that these, these Pharisees, they grew angry at Jesus, and they delivered him up to be crucified because of their jealousy of him. He was drawing all the big crowds, getting all the attention, and this was affecting their ego, their pride. They thought they were following God's word. Um, they thought they were actually defending the faith against a blasphemer against someone trying to destroy their way of life. But they were in fact being led by their flesh. These lovers of the law completely missed the boat on recognizing the very author of that law standing right in front of them. And they delivered the very word of God up to die. When I, I, I try to be quite a, I feel like I'm quite a practical person. So when I read a, a passage like Romans 8, really the, the big million dollar question for me is, Cool. How, how, do I, how do I be led by the Spirit and not by the flesh? 
And um, these are just some of the things that, that popped out to me, and I, I hope and pray that maybe they, they speak to you too. Uh, for starters, it helps to have the right perspective, which is, which is to know the full picture. Um, it can be useful for motivation. So we see from the Bible that the fruits of the Spirit are all desirable things, aren't they? Like peace and joy and goodness. I mean, who doesn't want those things? And these things aren't all easy to grow or develop, like we've talked about. There's a word in there, long-suffering. But the reward far outweighs the work. In the same token, you look at the, the list of the, the fruits of the flesh, and you think, and you would like to think, who would want any of those things? Who wants anger and jealousy and strife and all these things? But I've lived long enough to know that, that some things that are actually bad for us at times can feel like just what we need, right? <laughs> Does anyone know um, who the musician David Allison is? He was the um, bass player for a thrash metal band called Megadeth. <laughs> and it's like, I knew that one, that was right on the tip of my mind, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Megadeth. <laughs> um, he struggled with, with alcohol and drug addiction for a lot of his career. Surprise, surprise. And he said something in an interview once that really spoke to me as, a, as an addict. He said, going, going to rehab ruins getting high. I know, right? And I remember thinking, why is that? And it's, it's because something that was once considered fun and exciting is exposed as something destructive. Something that ultimately leads us down a path that we don't actually really want to be at the end of. And uh, the shine and attraction comes off it. The glamour. And all that's left is the ugly truth. And that's what happened to him. So in the same way, I think... In the war against the, the spirit and the flesh, we, we have to know what we're saying yes to, and we have to know what we're saying no to. It helps. So say we do that, and we start to recognize, and we know, okay, yeah, these are harmful things for me, um, and, and I want to rid them from my life, but yet we still find ourselves going back to them. I've mentioned up here a couple of times before, uh, Christians tend to forget God's goodness. We, get all, we forget all the amazing things he's done for us. We, we forget all the prayers he's answered. We forget his faithfulness. And unfortunately, our forgetfulness goes the other way too. Juliet and I, we were talking about this, where is Juliet, just the other day. Like we're, I've been, I've got a couple of stories. I've been trying not to spend, we've been trying not to spend money on takeaways. And a few weeks ago, I found myself just gliding into the KFC drive-thru. It's the smell, it's the smell, and I'm like, look, I'm only going to go if there's something on the app. Let me just check the app. There's something on the app. And I'm like, man, five pieces of chicken and chips, eleven ninety nine. It's like, I'd be, I'd be a poor steward if I didn't go for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. But, but then you've got the afterwards, right? You've got all the, the regret and the stomach ache, and it doesn't even taste that good in the moment. And even if it does taste good, even if the one time it does taste good, you know it's doing horrible things to you. And you find yourself, you swear off it, you're like, I'm not, I'm not going, we're not going back on it. We're not going back up, we're off. And then a month or so later, well, what am I doing again? Cruising into the drive-thru. And it's, that's one of my issues. I forget how much satisfaction there is when you follow God's spirit and you reap the fruit from it. And in the same token, I forget how unsatisfying it is to feed the desires of the flesh. Because even if the flesh is satisfied for a little bit, it won't last. 
It's always hungry. And um, Jim Carrey actually said something. Um, for those who know who he is, he's, a, he's an actor and a, um, a comedian. And um, he said this quote. He said, I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they've ever dreamed of. What a, what a good guy, eh? Just wants us all to have a good time. But that's not the end of his quote. His total quote is, I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see it's not the answer. So take away from that, we've got to remember that the flesh doesn't satisfy. We've got to learn from our mistakes. And also in the, um, in the ongoing fight between the flesh and the battle, we've, we've got to remember, we do, that our, our flesh has an ally, an enemy of ours, who's, who's all about deception, and he's got multiple tricks in his bag. Now I think, I'll choose my words carefully, I think he works really well, I, th I think he's got room to work with, with black and white personalities. Don't get me wrong, obviously, obviously, there has been some all or nothing people that have done some truly amazing things for God. But sometimes, sometimes I wonder if, if that's more of an exception than the rule. And this is just a thought I'm putting out here. I come from a family uh, full of very black and white people. Congratulations. And I never really considered myself one. I was like, nah, compared to some of them, I'm not that black or white. I'm not that black or white. But I begin to realize of late, that I'm, I can get really stuck in these patterns of all or nothing behavior. It's like some weeks I'm up super early, I'm praying, studying the word, I'm, I'm fasting, I'm, I'm praying for people on the street trying to be a super Christian. And then the next week I'm, I'm, I'm wallowing in anguish and I'm struggling with lust and depression and I'm so caught up in my own thoughts I can't even have a proper conversation with people. And um, it's not healthy. It's, it's like spiritual yo-yo dieting and I um I've just struggled to get the balance right I'll be honest because when I get all fired up and inspired and I'm like yeah spiritual discipline I just want to fix everything all at once and with that mindset I think I think the adversary certainly does in my life I think he gets to use a tactic uh, that's actually commonly um, used in legal cases and it's called a document dump it's where these opposing lawyers will will send over just overwhelming amounts of documentation to their opposing lawyer. And it's in the hope that um, in reviewing all this documentation that it's going to tire them out and lead them down rabbit holes. And uh, I believe the devil does that with me. And uh, all I'm asking is, do you think he might be doing that with you also? I've taken to asking the Holy Spirit, what are you trying to teach me in this season. Try it for yourself. You might be surprised with a very simple answer like I've got. Because I don't, I don't believe God overloads us with a, a hundred different things that we've got to accomplish or, or give up all at once. That might sound a little bit, you know, kind of weak on sin or whatever. But we've heard already this morning, his burden's light. He's, he's not going to try and overwhelm us. He's too wise for that. I think he, he gives us one thing at a time and I think when we try and <laughs> when we try and change everything at once, um, we tend to give up early because we think, "What's the point?" Or there's just so much going on that we miss the actual one thing that he's like, "Can you please just nail this?" We end uh, this passage 
in Romans 8. It's 8 to 11. And it says, uh, So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But Paul says to them, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, if so be that the Spirit of Christ dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised Jesus from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. So just like the flesh has its ally, we've got an ally in the Holy Spirit. We've got the same Spirit in us that raised Jesus from the dead. I know, right? And the devil, he wants to do everything he can to cause you to doubt the power of the spirit that lives in you. Because here's my theory about the devil. He's not actually that powerful. Now hear me out. I know he's not to be like underestimated, but it's not because he's strong and mighty. It's because of his incredible ability to deceive. I mean, think about it. Think about it. He managed to convince a third of the angels, a third of these beings that literally spent all their time in the presence of the Almighty God. He managed to convince them that, hey, God's not actually that great, and that they should really be worshipping him, someone that God created. He actually convinced them of that, so much so that they go to war against their very creator. And um, did the devil win that war? Of course not, <laughs> as power lies in tricks and lies, not actual strength. He then goes on to do exactly the same thing to Adam and Eve, convincing them that, that this creator God who, who'd given them everything and situated them in a perfect world with beauty and everlasting life, he's, he's saying God's actually holding out on you. And that uh, you, you shouldn't listen to him, you should listen to me instead. And the Bible says they were deceived, they were tricked. Don't you think you'd be trying the same thing with us today? <laughs> if it works, why, why fix it? Why change it? And one day, um, my nana always likes to remind me of this, one day, obviously he's going to get what's coming to him and he's going to be dragged out and we're all going to see him. And uh, it says in Isaiah 14, we're going to be like, is this it? Like, is this the creature that caused all this trouble? Like, he'll be, he'll be pitiful to look at. Not strong and mighty, a fake. I'm going to finish with reading a true story. Every year, thousands of runners, they converge on Australia uh, to run this, this annual ultra marathon. It's 875 kilometres from Sydney to Melbourne, which is just like, I know, right? <laughs> and this, this clearly is an elite event. It, it, it takes five days for most people to cross the finish line. And it's... Uh, yeah, I'd say pretty obvious to say it's for athletes that are at the top of their game. Most people are under 30, and people are sponsored by you know the likes of Nike, Adidas, all the big brands. And um, but that kind of changed when old uh, Cliff Young rocked up to the finish line. He's 61-year-old competitor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's hope yet. We say he strolled up to the starting blocks wearing overalls and work boots. And when questioned by the media, obviously, because they were like, what are you doing? He was optimistic about his chances. So he truly believed he could do it. He said, oh, look, I grew up chasing f sheep. 
around my family's farm for like days on end. It was pretty hardcore. And the media was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> they were actually, um, they were worried that he was, that he was going to get injured. And uh, from the moment that, that these runners left the starting block, it looked like they were 100% right. In the first few miles of the race, he was quickly left behind trailing. And the crowds were, were fascinated by him. They were amused and entertained. He didn't even run properly. He kind of had like this shuffle, like a half limp. And um, yeah, everyone's like, this, this guy may die doing this. Like they were genuinely worried about him. Now to finish this ultra marathon, runners, you need to hit 18 hours of running a day. And that leaves most participants with about six hours of sleep. So as an experienced newbie, old Cliff Young, he had no such targets. Uh, that first night, he, um, he just kept running. He continued to sh slow shuffle. And when dawn broke, the other runners were amazed to find that he hadn't stopped. He was just still plodding along. Yeah, very much. Forrest Gump did stop eventually. He intended to run constantly and uh, without stopping until he made it to the finish line. And in doing so, by refusing to stop, Cliff actually narrowed his gap, edging closer and closer to the front of the pack. And by the last night, that signature shuffle wasn't so funny anymore. It actually powered him right through to first place. And that's the true story of how Cliff Young, a 61-year-old farmer, not only won that race that year, but he set a new world record <laughs> for that marathon. Sorry? Oh, I'm not too sure exactly how long he took, but faster than anybody else. So that story, I just want to leave us with, is that slow and steady can succeed, as long as you never, ever give up. So I'm going to finish on Hebrews 12. It says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we don't have to rely on our own goodness or righteousness to be right with you um, because we would fail. And um, thank you that you do give us standards, Lord that we're not left in the dark wondering what you, what you want from us. Um, we ask that you would help us follow your spirit, Lord. Help us realize what we have in you and help us go out and proclaim that to those around us, um, that others may also be set free and, uh, and know your spirit living inside them too and be renewed and be transformed all for your glory. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist at extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com.